Hey there, dog people, cat people, and others. I'm Maddie Murray, and this is Professionally Informal. A sticky summer's day in Shepherdstown, an eagle in a thermal is a circle now, like a tire on a bike rolling down Columbus Street. Hey, welcome back. Happy Wednesday. I want to kick off this week by introducing a new segment that I am calling Fieldwork Failures, a time to uh, recognize and celebrate and laugh at all those times when you're in the field and you have fucked up beyond what you thought was possible and things have gone so incredibly wrong, all you can do is stand there and think, wow, what did I do in a past life to deserve this? And then you go back and laugh at it. Because, you know, how else are you going to cope with this sort of mess up? <laughs> but uh, this is, uh, we're going to start with my own personal fieldwork failure that happened just a week ago, just over a week ago, last Tuesday. And uh, this, is, this is it. This is how the story starts. So one of my favorite things to do is set up the uh, trail cam at work to uh, take photos and videos, actually, of animals uh, at night, mostly. Nocturnal animals. See what we're getting in and around the preserve. See what they're doing, where they're hanging out. And uh, so I had the great idea to set up this camera on a secondary little parcel of land that we have that's a bit down the roadways from our main site. So uh, it was a, you know, it was a Tuesday. Everyone wanted a break. So me and three of my coworkers hiked over to this uh, smaller parcel. It's down the road a bit. And we get there and we cross over the little creek and we find the perfect tree to set it up. And right in front of this tree, there's all sorts of tracks. There's, you know, coyote deer tracks. There's uh, deer tracks, raccoon tracks, squirrel tracks. Like, there's a lot of animals that come through this place. This uh, particular parcel of land, people don't really go there. It's not, you know, part of our main preserve. It doesn't have marked trails. There's no nature center, no bathroom. So why would anybody go there? Answer, they don't. Um, I have never seen anybody in there, <laughs> ever, except for, like, my coworkers and I in there. Um, and so I find this ideal spot, and I, you know, kneel down in the snow. I should add, it was pretty cold. There was snow on the ground. The creek was uh, partially frozen, and I begin unpacking everything, and I start setting up the rig into the tree. I tie it and strap it in, and I get the housing put up, and then I, I pull the camera out of my backpack. And I open up the class, and I flip it open, and I switch the switch to the on position. And there's a moment, and then the screen illuminates and says the horrible, horrible words to me of no SD. Y'all, I forgot the frickin' memory card. Fuck. Well, I mean, that's not the end of the world. So, you know, I... I set up the rest of the housing, put the camera back in my bag, and then we kick around for a bit more on this plot of land because we don't go over there that much. And it's real neat. It's real different from our main preserve because there's no sort of invasive understory. Uh, it's very open, which is really, really cool. We love that stuff. It's different. It's fun. It's, it's just real neat. You know, it's nature. And anyway, so we hike around, kick around, then we uh, we all walk back to our to the office, to the cabin. Uh, and I go in and I find the SD card. And since I left the housing out there, I was like, might as well put the camera out. Um, I want to, you know, see what we can get. So I uh, grab the SD card and then I grab the, the uh, keys to the truck and I shout to my coworkers like, hey, guys, I'm heading back out to the site. Gonna put up the camera for real this time. Uh, and then they all laughed at me. 
because I was an idiot who forgot the SD card in the first place. And then I head out. Uh, jump in the truck, drive down the roadways. It's this nice big old Chevy pickup truck. It's uh, awful, but I feel really big and powerful when I drive it, so that's fun. And I uh, park on the side of the road, jump off, and uh, cross the creek. You know, super easy. It's real shallow. There's like a lot of ice uh, patches and some, you know, big rocks to hop across. And I go back over to the trees, set the camera in the housing, close the door, lock it up so no one takes it. And I'm done. And it's like 3.45, not even. Awesome. I've got plenty of time to get back, finish up my work for the day. Everything's going good. And then I saw something. We set up this camera facing the creek because it looked like we were at a big creek crossing spot for animals. I was like, what is that? Oh my gosh, there's something shiny in the creek. I have to figure out what it is. So I go over and I'm, uh, I'm leaning over. I've got, you know, my, my work gear on. I've got my backpack on, you know, one shoulder. I'm looking down and I'm leaning over a little far. And then plop. My keys, my work keys that I need to take the truck back to the office and to get in and out of the office and unlock the field cam, the work keys that I need to do everything are in the creek. Shit. It's not that bad. It's not that deep a creek. Whatever. It's fine. I just clamber down the bank. I'm going to have to get my hand cold, so I roll up my sleeve and prepare to, you know, go elbows deep into this icy little creek. Um, when things went very wrong, very fast, you see, I thought I'd climb down onto the shore of this creek. Turns out I didn't. Turns out I was on an ice shelf. Um, an ice shelf that was not big enough to hold the weight of me. And next thing I know, I hear a crack and a, and I fall in the creek. But here's the thing. I'm clever. I'm smart. I know how to, you know, handle myself in the outdoors. I keep myself from falling all the way in the water. I grab a branch and I fling myself around so that only my feet get in the water. I'm only wet with icy cold uh, stream water up to my knees. Hell yeah. Oh no, I'm missing something. Y'all, in my attempt to flip myself to stand back up, I threw my backpack into the creek. My empty backpack that is now taking off down the creek at an amazing speed, far faster than I would have imagined, and is quickly getting away from me. And I just had to stand there and watch it go for a minute because, oh my god, how did I do this so bad? I'm wet, sitting in the creek, I've got my keys, lost my backpack. Shit. And it's not my backpack. Nope. It, it belongs, it belongs to the government. It's the government's backpack. It's not mine. Ugh. Uh, so I jump out of the creek and I start chasing down this backpack and I think I've lost it uh, because this creek, well, it's going to go under the road and directly into the river that flows through our preserve and I can't catch up with this thing and it has gone to the point where the banks are really steep and where the water gets a bit deeper and I can't go, I can't go in there and get that. What the fuck am I going to do? Thankfully then it gets snagged on some rocks. It gets snagged on some rocks, and so it stops, and then it starts sinking because it's filling with water. It's getting saturated. Okay, that's fine. I'm a smart girl. I grab a big stick. There's lots of big sticks. This is the frickin' forest. And I'm scooping, and I'm trying to grab the backpack, and the stick keeps breaking, and then I realize, oh no. I am going to fall in if I keep trying to leverage this soaking wet, heavy-ass backpack out of the creek with these 
broken, weak-ass sticks. So I decide that a sacrifice is necessary. I'm already wet. I'm already freezing cold. It's snowing. The sun's going to be going down soon. It's like 4 o'clock at this point. So I jump back in the creek. And I bend over. And I pick up the backpack. And my cell phone falls out of my pocket and begins to float away. I mean, thankfully, I'm really quick. I pick it up. You know, it's um, it's easy. It's not too bad. And I just, you know, I, I grab it. Grab it out of the water, shove it in my pocket, jump up on the bank, swing the backpack onto my shoulder, where all the water falls out and drips immediately down my butt. <sighs> go back across the creek where I came in, go back to the office, tell everyone my story. And immediately burst into laughter and tears because you know what? It's okay. And want to know something even better? My cell phone still works, mofos! Still works perfectly. Your boy knows how to pick out a good phone case and a good screen protector because uh, I know I'm a disaster. Thank you for listening to the first fieldwork failure. There will definitely be more. I'm a mess. <laughs> but now that means it's time to get to what the actual topic for today was. Recently, uh, we've been marking some trees around the preserve. We've been uh, flagging them or tagging them with either tape or uh, some spray paint and uh, making sure that we know that those are trees that we're going to be watching. Um, even more so than that, though, those are trees that we're going to be cutting down. And this has uh, led to some concern uh, with our visitors, specifically people coming in to the visitor center and um, demanding to know, why are you cutting down the trees? You're supposed to be protecting them. At that point, we take a deep breath and we say, okay, let's start at the beginning. First, I want to talk about forestry. So forestry is the science or practice of planting, maintaining, and caring for forests. It's how we manage them, how we assess their health. Um, it's how we assess their productivity if this is a place where lumbering is happening. So forestry, it's, it's more than just a title or a degree. It is a practice, much in the sense that uh, medicine is a practice. Because you're managing uh, not just trees, you're managing an entire system, much like you'd be managing an entire person's health. You very often will wind up join joining a society and um, following a code of ethics. Most famously is the Society of American Foresters, which does have a very strict code of ethics. And you have to adhere to that code of ethics. Otherwise, you can be reported and have your license and recognition taken away. So forestry is about a lot more than just trees. It's about uh, purposeful and sustainable land management and use. Uh, so we want to manage and use lands for various purposes. Some lands are maintained strictly for the purpose of logging and having a good timber supply available um, in a place at any given time. Some lands are managed uh, strictly for protection. They are, you know, uh, highly protected wilderness areas where perhaps human traffic, uh, human trafficking, that's not it, where human recreation traffic is um, extremely limited uh, or perhaps even banned altogether. 
Uh, they may be managed primarily for public viewing. Uh, think about your classic national park scenario. Think about uh, going to go see some geysers out at Yellowstone. Uh, those are places that have infrastructure in place for people to see, you know, parts of the ecosystem. So you can manage forests for that, and that might be, um, and that might be, you know, selectively cutting or planting different plants and trees to help you know, boost the native population, but also teach some that are educational if you were to have an interpreter out there teaching people about said trees. So sustainable forestry is a goal-oriented process. You have a goal, you have a plan uh, that fits the needs of that land, the, the needs of that parcel, and then manage the land in the best way to meet both that need and any sustainability goals that you may have. So for a preserve such as mine, that largely means just letting things grow and letting what happens happens um, to an extent. Now that extent uh, meets its end once we start to have a large influx of invasive species or undesirable plants or nuisance animals. And that's where we may interfere. You see, part of our goal is to maintain a natural, native, healthy ecosystem, which is why when we're cutting down things, at least when I'm cutting down things in my job, um, I'm not cutting down large trees usually. I am cutting down uh, small invasive plants, uh, a lot of honeysuckle, a lot of buckthorn, which are both uh, very prominent invasives around here. It can have a lot of big negative effects on the ecosystem. Uh, but it's also managing the soil, game populations, if you are assessing the area for, you know, deer population or quail or pheasant. It, forestry can involve, uh, you know, operations related to maintaining their population, such as deciding when hunting will be allowed or not. Or um, if, you know, there has to be some sort of culling of an animal population because there's too much. Because too much of an animal population can be a really bad thing for an area. So it's more than just looking at trees. It's more than just being a tree guy and pointing at something like, this is an aspen and you can tell because of the way it is. It's really just that combined effort of ecology and, you know, tree science, basically, but also animal sciences and land uses studies um, to best manage a place for the greater population and for the greater use. I did mention earlier that there is a code of ethics that a lot of foresters follow, um, and that will, you know, become very relevant as we're talking about this, and that is that foresters have a responsibility to manage land for both current and future generations. So things that are doing the tree cutting, um, especially on, you know, these government-owned preserve-type lands, a lot of times it's there because it needs to be, because it's part of the plan and it's part of that code of ethics, and it's maintaining this place in the best form for this facility's goals. Okay, so people are like, why are you cutting the trees? It's like, well, here's the thing. Sometimes to reach those goals that we're talking about, you have to cut down some of the trees. Trees uh, are living things. Some people don't think plants are living things. If you're one of those people, please keep listening to this podcast and I will tell you all about them. If you're one of those people who is like, of course trees are living things, also keep listening. If you see someone on the street who's not listening to this podcast, tell them to start listening too, you know? Hey, help a girl out. Make us, uh, make us grow. Help us grow. That's totally a irrelevant side note. So, 
So yeah, we do have to cut down trees because it might fit into our greater management plan. But how and why we are cutting down trees varies. So there are several different practices for cutting and clearing trees, and it depends on the use of the land. So if it's an area that's being primarily used for timber production, then a lot of times you'll see uh, practices such as clear cutting happening or uh, lesser known practices such as seed tree harvesting and um, selective cutting happening. So those are processes that are mainly uh, timber oriented, uh, strategized to maximize the profit of timber from a plot of land uh, because lumber is expensive. Trees are expensive. You can make money off of trees. And so private landowners, but also uh, state agencies, state forests, will use that land to the best of their advantage to make money if need be, and then that money can go on and fund other activities, other conservation efforts, other restoration efforts. Uh, clear cutting is a word that can have a lot of weight behind it. It is a term that uh, a lot of people, especially environmentalists, uh, tends to, you know, throw up some red flags because clear cutting literally means you are clearing an area of all trees, which doesn't doesn't immediately sound good. And no, if done wrong, it can be very not good. It can lead to erosion. You're eliminating a lot of different habitat. You might be making an extremely ugly spot in a nice forest, which honestly, the photogenic value of a forest does really matter to some people, especially if it's a place that's used recreationally. But clear cutting can also facilitate the growth of new trees by having suddenly all this sunlight in one spot, which could be really beneficial for uh, newer species. It can also uh, help just purge an area that is maybe full of invasives, get that sort of reset, and um, just allow the area to have a fresh start, a clean slate. Uh, there's a lot of other things that go into the clear-cutting debate and the thoughts surrounding it. A lot of um, economic sort of factors and ideas that go into whether or not people are going to clear-cut an area. I'm not going to get into that right now because that is like a whole other debate, but um, just know that clear cutting and really logging in general, there's a lot of different uh, things, a lot of different strategies that go into that. So at this facility, I always, you know, make sure we want to tell people we're not clear cutting. This isn't a timber production facility, but of course people still want to know, well, why are you cutting down trees? And again, it has to go back to the site's goals. So the facility that I work at, our goal is to help people get out into nature. Um, let them have fun, let them learn, let them experience the beauty of the Midwestern region in a safe and accessible way. So honestly, the main reason why we might be cutting down and removing a tree is for the safety of those people. Most of these trees that we've been cutting and removing have been dead for a while and as a tree dies and it starts to rot out it is you know no longer growing it becomes more and more of a safety hazard that tree could partially or entirely fall it could block a path it could heaven forbid hit a person um it may it may be a magnet for lightning and unfortunately cause a forest fire or a severe lightning strike these trees that we've identified they pose a very active, very real threat to human health and safety. So for the most part, 
these trees that people are worried about as trimming, these are the ones that are closest to the path. There are a lot of dead trees where I work. Um, there are a lot of dead trees in pretty much any forests, but the ones that we're cutting down and removing, they're only the ones on the edge. They are only the ones that are currently an active threat to the people using that land and using that facility. And by removing those trees, we can help ensure that they are staying, uh, that the people are staying safe. And we are also gonna be helping the surrounding trees by opening up this big new patch of sunlight that uh, they can now compete for much more freely because there isn't just a dead husk of a tree there blocking all the light. That's really good. And I, I alluded to this earlier, the other reason why I might be cutting down trees is for restoration purposes. This may be because the tree is large and invasive. Um, could be that the tree is dead and not on the path, but in an area that we would like to do a prescribed burn in. Uh, but very often it's because that tree isn't so much a big native tree as it is a, uh, you know, wild spiny buckthorn that is literally preventing other trees from growing there by putting toxins into the ground. Fun fact about buckthorn, they're fucking brutal. Okay? Buckthorn and honeysuckle, they just like, they put the roots in the ground and then they're like, I'm gonna secrete some toxins now and no one else is allowed to grow here. Like, that's wild, evolutionarily. But how does that happen? I mean, clearly it happens because it works and then they take over an area. But it's also the most inconvenient thing ever. Because we're not going to dig up all those root systems. No, that's way too hard. Too much work. Anyways, so those are the main reasons why we might be cutting down trees and removing trees. Uh, but for some people, that's, that's still not enough. Uh, they believe that we should be leaving, you know, the trees there to grow on their own. Um, very often, you know, you'll find in national forests or national parks on, you know, longer, more remote paths, if there's a dead tree near the path that falls, um, they will just leave it there because there's simply too much to be constantly patrolling the land for dead and fallen trees. That's not the case here. Our preserves are small, they're very manageable, and we have large limestone trails, so if it looks like a tree is going to fall and block the trail, we got to get rid of it. We don't have any excuse not to. Also, we don't want people going around it because our woods are full of invasive species and poison ivy, and that's just a whole other risk that we don't want to unpack. So we remove them before they even have the chance to fall. The other reason we may remove trees is uh, perhaps because they are sick and they will be posing a threat in the future. However, we do not uh, usually do that as much unless we catch the tree in the act of dying. Um, and maybe, you know, due to a sickness and maybe due to a lightning strike, we uh, did used to have a rather large cottonwood tree that we had to remove because it was struck by lightning. And we noticed in the spring that literally all of the bark fell off. It's like, hmm, that's not supposed to happen. And so we did have to remove that tree, which people were upset about. But if we had left it there, it would have been a huge safety hazard for everyone visiting the facility. And then the other thing that I like to mention is that most of the trees that we're cutting down they are all one species. They're all ash trees. So you may or may not be familiar with an insect called the emerald ash borer. This is a beetle that is invasive um, here in North America. It likely came over to North America from Asia in wooden, wooden shipping materials, uh, which is wild. Like someone just, you know, opened a big 
box and it maybe had like wood chip packing stuff and there were beetles in it and now those beetles have uh, entered 35 states as well as several Canadian provinces including Ontario, uh, Quebec, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Manitoba and have killed almost every ash tree in those areas which is terrible and it's sad and it's horrible and it would have been preventable but also we didn't know that was going to happen. Why would we think to look for beetles in packing material? So a lot of these trees that are being cut down are because they have died due to the emerald ash borer. So what happens is these beetles lay their eggs in ash trees exclusively. They don't like oak. They don't want your hickory. They don't want your red bud. They don't want your maple. They don't want any of that. They just want your ash trees. I really am really worried that I'm going to say ass trees. So I'm going to work so hard to not say ass trees again. Okay. They just want your ash trees. And what happens is they burrow under the bark and they lay their eggs. The eggs then hatch and burrow through the wood and essentially suffocate the tree by eating through the top layers of bark that allow for nutrient and water flow across the tree. And that's bad. That would be like... You know, if someone came and, like, strangled you literally around your neck, just, like, grasped you really tight and killed you by suffocation, that's literally what's happening here, is that these guys are cutting off the flow of everything, literally, of sugars, of water, of oxygen, of CO2, from between the leaves and the roots. And they come in and they sever it, and sometimes you can't tell at first. Uh, It doesn't look like there's, like, you know, a line across the tree it's not like you know a human strangulation there's not like fingerprint marks or anything you just start to see the tree die and if it's an ash tree and you know you live in one of 35 states in the u.s chances are it's dying because of an emerald ash borer and what's even worse is right now we don't really have anything we can do to stop or prevent it from happening Right now, we're just hoping that as all of the mature big ash trees die, the beetles no longer have a place to live, um, and then they will all die, and then, hey, maybe there'll be a couple healthy ash trees left and they can repopulate. But as of right now, that's our best option. So a lot of these trees that we're coming in and cutting down, we're just removing the spoils of this war against this invasive species. Now, I could do a whole episode on the emerald ash borer and the work that's going into figuring out how to stop it, possibly finding other tree varieties that could uh, keep it from producing as many offspring, but that's a whole other can of worms. And honestly, it makes me kind of sad because this is a species that was brought over there, brought over here completely by humans. It would not have made its way over here any other way because they only fly about half a mile from their origin ash tree. But I still think it's important to talk about because it can help us prevent this from happening again to other species of trees and in other places. Like I said, they only have found this uh, emerald ash borer in 35 out of 50 states. So there are states where it isn't yet found. There are still states that are relatively safe. The ash tree populations there are healthy and they're doing well. And so the way these talks normally go is, yeah, sometimes we have to cut trees down. No, we're not clear cutting. We're not getting rid of all of them. 
this is an ash tree that we have to remove and this is why. And that's how we really reach them and that's how we do the education because they're concerned about the trees, they're concerned about losing them all. And so we take that concern and we tell them how they can turn it into something productive. Uh, the biggest thing we'll share with them is, hey, don't move firewood. If you're going someplace and you're gonna be lighting a fire, having you know a nice outdoor fire, use the wood that's there. Don't bring it over from another state, especially don't bring it even from another county or another town because when you move firewood, there's a chance that you're moving invasive species with that wood. And it's just like, oh, wouldn't the species make it over there anyways? They might not. If there's one thing we can do to keep the species from advancing, we should be doing it. And that can help keep you from despairing about how many of these trees have died and how little we know about how to stop it. So yes, sometimes in protected areas, we do cut down and remove trees, but we do it only because we have to and only because it's the best option for the preserve and our goals and the preserves ecology and the environment. Do we wish we didn't have to? Of course, but then that might also mean that no trees are dying, which would be pretty wild. That would also probably be a problem. I feel like that could be a sci-fi movie. All of a sudden, all the trees stop dying. The trees have discovered the fountain of youth. They're immortal. Whoa. I'm gonna go write a screenplay for that after this, I think. But the moral of the story is, that's why sometimes we have to cut down trees. Thank you guys so much for listening. The intro and outro of our program is Learn to Fly by Josh Woodward. You can find that and a bunch more at his website at joshwoodward.com. Hey, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or uh, do you have any funny fieldwork failures that you want to share, or uh, weird guest interactions, then you can shoot us an email at professionallyinformal at gmail.com, or follow us on Twitter at informalpod. If you tweet about us, send us an email, um, have any feedback or information, or tell us a cool story, we'll give you a shout out on the show because, hey, why not? Uh, sharing us with your friends, tweeting about us, uh, anything could really, really help us out. Uh, it's brand new here, second episode, and uh, we'd love your support. Another great way to support us is by rating us and reviewing us on iTunes using Apple Podcasts. That would be huge. Uh, we're brand new there. We don't have a big listener base, but uh, any little bit helps. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Maddie Murray, and remember, learning is not just for the classroom. See you next week.